Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. After a long and very warm autumn in Japan, winter has finally descended across the country. And with the cold weather comes the season for onsen, Japan's hot spring baths. On this week's show, Japan Times contributor Mara Bajan joins to discuss the history of onsen and ask, are Japan's iconic hot spring resources sustainable? Mara, welcome to Deep Dive. Thanks so much for joining me again. Hi, Oscar. Nice to see you again. You've been researching the sustainability of onsen for an article that's coming out soon in the Japan Times. But before we get stuck into that topic, I think it would be a wasted opportunity not to ask you, do you have a favourite onsen? Wow, that's a really difficult question. Obviously, outdoor onsens like Rotenburus are the best. Sort of the wilder, the better, I would say. So there's this one onsen in Hokkaido. It's right in front of, on the shore of Lake Kusharo. And it's just, I mean, it's great to sort of be on the same level as the lake kind of thing. So you feel like you're in the lake, but at the same time you're in the onsen. And it's just such a wild and beautiful place. And there's basically no buildings around and it's just you in nature. You know, what more could you want? Yeah, I've, I've actually been to that same onsen. Oh. And A, yes, I totally agree. It's beautiful being <laughs> sat by the lake shore. Uh, but B, when I was there, actually ended up meeting the guy who built that onsen on the shore of Lake Kuchara. And he was lovely, really nice, but turned out to be this kind of strange 5G conspiracy theory man who claimed all gaijin were robots. Uh, so that was an interesting perfect. experience, yeah, <laughs> in there naked being lectured about 5G conspiracy theories. But it is a very beautiful onsen. Sounds like a memorable experience. Mine was a little, a little more cl- of a classic onsen experience. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd love to go back there at some point, but it's yeah, incredibly far from Tokyo. Tell me, how far back does the history of bathing in hot springs go in Japan? Sure. So, you know, for anyone who's been to Japan or who lives in Japan, you know, they would know how important hot springs are to basically Japanese culture and society. And so actually, one of Japan's oldest books, the Nihon Shoki, which was written in 720, it documents three ancient springs, Arima Onsen in Hyogo Prefecture, Nanki Shirahama in Wakayama Prefecture, and Dogo Onsen in Ehime Prefecture. And the latter onsen is actually thought to be 3,000 years old and is in fact considered Japan's oldest onsen. Yeah, Dogo Onsen is another absolutely stunning onsen. And actually the main building, I think it is, uh, inspired the bathhouse in the Studio Ghibli film, Spirited Away, which I guess goes to show the importance of onsen in Japanese culture as well. Well, actually, interesting. I think that one of the top Google searches for Japan is actually Japan Onsen, at least from abroad. I mean, when people think of Japan from outside, even from the inside, they often think of onsens, right? It's something that's really distinguishing to Japanese culture. And I think it's amazing because onsens don't only serve, obviously, an obvious purpose of bathing and hygiene, right? But they've also been really important places where communities gather and people meet. And over time, they've grown to become very important pillars of local economies, and in particular of the tourism industry. Uh, And then, you know, you can look at also the sort of more health related aspects of onsens, the hot springs or the hot water and the minerals that it contains, uh, you know, are thought to have incredible health benefits, such as curing muscular pain or other types of pain, improving circulation 
and uh, of course improving our beautiful skin. Um, <laughs> so, you know, people have been flocking to them for, well, you know, centuries. And how many hot spring sources are there across Japan at the moment? So the official number is, see if you can remember this, 27,969 onsen sources in Japan, according to the Environment Ministry, right? So this is the official number. And how is that number defined? What defines an official onsen? So that's an excellent question. Uh, given that Japan has such a strong onsen culture and history, there's actually an official definition. And this was determined in 1948 in the so-called Hot Spring Act. And according to this piece of legislation, an onsen is either water, water vapor or gas. So uh, these have to contain a prescribed quantity of at least one of 19 designated chemical components or their temperature has to be 25 degrees Celsius or more. So these are the basic criteria. And one interesting thing about the Hot Spring Act of 1948 is that it also sets guidelines for protecting hot spring sources. And you said there's 27,969 onsen sources nationwide. Why does Japan have so many hot spring sources? Basically, Japan is has this gift. So this is just a natural consequence of Japan's geology and its position on the so-called Pacific Ring of Fire, uh, which is a region where there is a lot of volcanic activity. And in fact, Japan has many volcanoes. And the hot magma from these volcanoes heats groundwater, which then makes for onsen sources, right? Hot mm -hmm. springs. And uh, there's also different types of onsen, which is quite cool, uh, because these different types have different properties. And in fact, people seek them out for these properties. So the properties, you know, include different minerals, different pHs, different temperatures, colors, textures, even tastes. You know, if you ever tasted onsen water, perhaps not from the bath, <laughs> maybe um, in a separate occasion. It's going to sound so naive, but the idea of an active volcano was so alien to me before moving to Japan. So I remember when I first moved to Japan and I lived in Kyushu and right in the center of Kyushu is one of Japan's most active volcanoes. It's called Asosan. And it's, you know, it's not always erupting, but quite often if you go there, there's this huge plume of smoke and steam and all the rest of it coming out of the center. But all around the edge of that volcano, you get these onsen hot springs, uh, some of which I think we're going to talk about in this episode, like Beppu in Oita Prefecture. But I think also one of my favorites, which is Kurokawa Onsen, which is on the border of Kumamoto Prefecture and Oita Prefecture. And there's this beautiful valley with 27 Ryokan inns, all of which have their own hot spring source. It's really beautiful, Kurokawa. Yeah. I mean, just the the, um, the river flowing through the town, right? The village, you know, you can see the vapor just coming out of from it, you know, and you just think, should I just bathe in the river? <laughs> 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 should I just skip the Ryokan and just go in there? Yeah. But yeah, Kurokawa is, is absolutely magical, agreed. You used the word gift earlier and I think that's quite an apt word to describe onsen because I think I've always thought of them as this kind of never-ending gift from the earth. In my head they're most closely associated with the mountains and there's nothing better really than going out for a long day hiking or skiing, getting cold, chilly, beaten up by the weather, all the rest of it and then coming back to an onsen, sitting in a nice warm bath to get rid of all the muscle aches and pains. 
But the article you're researching at the moment looks at the sustainability of onsen, which is a question I've never really thought about. So what got you interested in this topic? So I guess what got me interested is having the exact experience that you just described, you know, after a long day of hiking, of climbing, of skiing, the biggest reward is onsen and then a beer and some food, right? In that order, actually, I would say. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so the idea of looking at, you know, whether onsens are sustainable just came out of, I guess, spending a lot of time in onsens and having time to think. And as a journalist covering environmental topics and issues, you know, it's just kind of a natural direction in which my mind often goes. So I decided, you know, let's try and answer this question. Are onsen sustainable? And what did you find? You know, like many of these topics, it's not a clear cut answer at all, which is kind of what I expected to find in my research, right? And so I spoke to the executive managing director of the Japan Onsen Association, and his name is Yutaka Seki. And, you know, he pointed something out to me, which is I mean, obvious to some extent, but it is important to note is that hot springs aren't an infinite resource. And so the environment is impacted negatively if these resources aren't managed properly. You know, he explained to me that there definitely have been cases in modern times in which the use of hot springs has had a significantly negative impact on the environment. And what are some examples of this? So I like to think that we can kind of divide the impact of onsens on the environment into pre- and post-bathing phases, (laughs) if you will. So obviously, you know, what we have to start with is the impact on groundwater. Okay, so this is where the onsen water actually comes from. This is where the onsen water comes from, which, you know, as the name says, is from the ground. And we were saying before that Japan is geographically positioned in a very favorable way uh, for hot spring sources. And apart from that, there's also the fact that Japan just has a lot of water. Mm. And so large amounts of rain and snow fall on Japan every year. And these actually replenish the groundwater and therefore, you know, the hot spring sources that we all enjoy. And so in order for an onsen to be considered sustainable, there needs to be a balance between the input, which is the rainwater and the snow, and the output, which is, of course, the hot spring itself. And what kind of things could contribute to this balance being thrown off? So pure onsen water can actually flow naturally. Uh, it can also, however, be extracted mechanically. So you, you dig and then you set up a piping network, valves, whatever. And this allows you to extract the water from deeper in the ground and, you know, carry it to wherever you want, really. Mm-hmm. And so... I was actually speaking to a groundwater hydrologist and he explained to me that, you know, basically wherever you are in Japan, you can actually probably excavate and find a hot spring. You obviously don't want to dig too deep because it will be expensive, apart from, you know, its potential environmental impacts. Mm. So having said that, um, there have been cases of excessive excavation which has caused the depletion of the water sources and actually changed the water quality and I was actually told this by the head of the Japan Onsen Association and this kind of let's call it excessive digging was fueled by the post-war tourism boom 
combined with advancements in technology for excavating water and carrying it, you know, to onsen facilities. Right. But you said earlier that onsen can be a significant driver of local tourism. So what stops you and I, for example, from just trying to dig for a new hot spring source and using that to set up a new onsen or new bathing facility in the heart of Tokyo? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a really good point. The first answer is that there are actually regulations in place. So in, in a way, you can't mm. do whatever you want kind of thing. You and I can't just decide to, you know, make an onsen and start digging kind of thing. You know, you have to submit actual plans for excavation. And these have to be approved by the prefectural government. Uh, and the government, the prefecture, also monitors the consumption of onsen water to, you know, make sure that it isn't used in excess. So in, in particular, um, the Japan Onsen Association explained to me that if the digging is at a depth of over a kilometer, they actually recommend that a local council be set up to evaluate the project, which would involve, you know, different parties within a local area to discuss whether this is desirable for that local area. I think it's useful to actually um, look at an example here, and that would be Bippu. And Beppu is a city in Oita Prefecture whose claim to fame is having the highest output of onsen water anywhere in Japan at something like 87,000 litres per minute, as well as having 2,300 hot spring sources, roughly 10% of the total hot spring sources nationwide. That Beppu. That Beppu, yes, <laughs> not another Beppu. <laughs> so, so, yeah, so as you mentioned, you know, Beppu has a crazy amount of onsens and hot spring water flowing through it. And so, of course, you know, as a place that relies so heavily on these resources, it's had to find ways to manage them properly to ensure, you know, their sustainability in the long term. And so there are several measures in place to do so. And these include limiting how far hot spring water can be transported from its original source. And also, uh, new excavation is actually prohibited in certain areas. So Beppu is actually quite strict with this express intention of trying to keep things sustainable and prevent too much extraction of hot spring water. Absolutely. You divided the environmental impacts of onsen into two categories pre-bathing, which we just talked about, and post-bathing. So what are some of the post-bathing impacts that onsen may have on their local environments? Yeah, this is interesting because you don't really think necessarily what happens to the water once you, you know, leave the onsen. And so in this sense, we have to look how onsen effluents, this is what they're called, are managed. So basically, you know, the water that is coming out of the onsen. And so this hot spring water is either treated through sewers, so kind of normally, um, as water is, or when the water is actually too hot, it cannot be treated properly. And so it is released directly into the environment. What kind of surprised me when I was researching this piece is that there actually isn't much monitoring of what happens with this water in the sense what impact it has. And in fact, you know, this is what the environment ministry told me. You know, we just don't really study this. We don't know. 
And so I came across a rather interesting study, and um, I had the, the pleasure of speaking to two of its authors. And this study was conducted in 2017. And it's one of the few studies of its kind, because basically what it does is that it evaluates the impact of hot spring drainage in, again, Bipu. And what did that study find? So the study looks at the effects on water quality and temperature of six rivers in the Bipu area, and also the fish populations of two of these rivers. And the study is pretty detailed and they come up with different findings. But one of the things that is really quite shocking is that in one of the rivers, which is called Hirata River, and it is the most affected by hot spring drainage out of the ones studied in Bepu. So the actual increase of the water temperature has created a better habitat for a species of fish that is invasive, and it's called Nile tilapia. As the name suggests, it is not native to Japan. <laughs> <laughs> so when the study was conducted, the authors found that Nile tilapia actually made up more than 80% of the total fish biomass mm -hmm. in and the they, river. And they attributed that to the impact of this on some water? So they did. But again, what they say in the study is that, you know, they found that water temperature increases and this increases the amount of phytoplankton in the water, which is what Nautilapia feeds on. And it basically creates a better environment for the fish. And so over time, this fish species has supplanted other native fish species. But they, what they really conclude is that more research is needed mm. because this is quite a small study right? Quite a localized study. And this is a theme that came up in various points of my research where we're kind of missing a lot of information when it comes to onsens and sustainability. Mm -hmm. Within the data that does exist, do you find problems associated with other things like pollution from the used onsen water? I mean, I wouldn't describe it as a problem on a wide scale. Fortunately, there's uh, a law called the Water Pollution Prevention Act, which actually establishes legal limits for toxic substances in effluents. And this applies to onsens as well. However, I was told by a person I researched for the article that there has been the case in Beppu of arsenic being found in onsen effluents. And basically because there isn't the right technology to treat the water and reduce the contamination. And, you know, we all know arsenic is extremely toxic. And in response, basically the environment ministry has, this problem has been signaled, but the environment ministry has granted a moratorium period sort of for Bipo to sort itself out with the arsenic levels in onsen effluents. And this moratorium period kind of keeps being extended. So they're kind of not finding a way of solving this issue. And, you know, there's nothing to worry about. No evidence seems to indicate that there are health effects on the population. You know, don't, don't not go to Beppu because of this. However, you know, there's basically a lack of research. What are some of the ways in which people are trying to make onsen more sustainable going forward? So as a source of basically energy, hot water can actually be quite useful. 
So one of the ways in which onsens are being made more sustainable is through the adoption of what is called the cascade model, where the hot spring water is actually used at different temperatures for different uses, such as heating greenhouses and even buildings. There are, these are quite local cases, but there are some onsens uh, in Bipu again that are using hot spring water to heat greenhouses and cultivate crops, such as shiitake mushrooms and chrysanthemums. And there's also an onsen in Takayama, in Gifu Prefecture, called Okuhida, where bananas are being grown, of all things. Using the heat of the water. Using the heat of the water to heat the greenhouse, yes. So you can have uh, Gifu bananas. Mm. <laughs> and in other cases, there are onsens using the water for heating, such as Matsunoyama Onsen in Niigata, where basically the onsen water is used for heating the building. And it's even used to cook a local specialty called Tojibuta pork. To me, it seems like the greatest potential use for all this hot water bubbling out of Japan is in generating electricity via geothermal power plants. And I've always wondered why Japan hasn't made better use of its geothermal potential, especially as the need for renewable energy becomes more and more important due to climate change. So I wonder, is there a conflict between the use of hot water in Japan for onsen and the same water being used for other projects, for example, geothermal energy? So there's both a conflict and a synergy at the same time, depending on what area you're looking at. So we spoke before about the cascade model, and actually one of the most significant ways that this is implemented is by using hot spring resources for geothermal energy, as you said. So there are actually... Uh, geothermal power plants known as onsen hatsuden that actually use heat from hot springs and you know you mentioned climate change and geothermal energy still accounts for a tiny tiny portion of the energy mix in japan only 0.2 percent mm. but it could actually increase to 10 percent which you know is actually quite a significant amount However, there is kind of a conflict here, uh, basically between geothermal developers and onsen operators. And so, for example, speaking to the Japan Onsen Association, they have actually, they actually spoke to me about a number of cases in which they believe that the development of, well, basically the construction of geothermal power plants has actually led to the depletion of onsen resources. So, for example... In uh, Ebino Kogen, in Miyazaki Prefecture, and in Yanaizu in Fukushima, geothermal energy projects have actually been blamed for sort of the, the, the hot spring taps being turned off. And in other cases, there's been conflict to the point where onsen owners have stopped geothermal developments from even happening. So you mentioned Kurokawa Onsen. Mm. And there, um, basically, hot spring operators stopped a, a or opposed themselves to a geothermal power plant. And so, you know, I spoke to the Onsen Association and I also spoke to the Japan Geothermal Association. And they basically deny these claims that onsen operators make. Um, but there's obviously a huge conflict there. And I'm not quite sure what direction it will take in the future. But it sounds like these onsen associations or local onsen associations are extremely influential if they're able to stop the generation of electricity that could power a decent chunk of the nation. 
Yeah, I guess I guess that's absolutely true. Uh, especially, I think if you look at a local level, there are certain localities like Kurokawa Onsen, where, of course, onsen operators have a huge amount of, I guess, power. They have you know a say in what goes on locally because they they are the economic lifeline of that area. So I guess it's only a natural consequence. But, you know, at the same time, you know, as time goes by and, you know, Japan has to diversify its energy mix, I'm sure the, on the other hand, the geothermal lobby, you know, if we want to call it like that, you know, it will increasingly have a voice. So we've talked about sustainability in terms of the impact onsen can have on their local environments. But are there other pressures that onsen establishments are facing in terms of their long-term sustainability? There definitely are in more social and economic terms. So we spoke earlier about the boom of onsens in the post-war era. And, you know, this was also then fueled by the bubble economy. And basically the number of onsens at one point exploded, right? So it, it doubled between the 1960s and early 2000s. But now we're looking at a very different picture. So many establishments are actually threatened. Their survival is is on the line. And so Japan has almost 13,000 traditional onsen inns. So places where you can also stay the night. And many of these are in rural and remote areas, uh, often in small villages and towns. And, you know, as we all know, and as we hear often, these areas are suffering from many, many issues, including depopulation and basically a general state of economic decline. So according to a 2017 report published by the Trade Ministry of Japan, more than half of these establishments are actually at risk of closing down because their owners are basically too old and there's no one that is there to take their place. And fewer and fewer potential customers because the regions that they're based in are depopulating at the same time. Absolutely. You know, whether onsens are sustainable sort of socially, economically in the long term, I think we can't really separate that from a wider conversation about rural decline and the challenges that the tourism industry is now facing because, of course, of the very severe impact of the COVID-19 pandemic. Onsens are, you know, are still such a big part of Japanese culture. And when tourism, tourists start coming back, they will want to go to onsens because, you know, it is one of the Japanese experiences. I think one of the greatest things about visiting onsens is actually that you get to mix with a lot of people of different ages and of different backgrounds. They're just enjoyed by so many different kinds of people, right? Right. I think onsen are a great equalizer. I think there's something very, yeah, equalizing about stripping away all your worldly possessions and getting into a shared bath with other people. I think one of the other nice things that we haven't really mentioned is that onsen are not outrageously expensive you know if you go to many of the rural ones they'll still be less than a thousand yen significantly less than a thousand yen quite often to enter the baths yeah absolutely and some of them are even free right the one we spoke about in lake kusharo in hokkaido Mm. you know there's this man who i guess built it and is maintaining it but you know he just allows other people to use it free of charge isn't that a beautiful thing right Mm. when we talk about onsens we can definitely talk about the establishments that are built around them, you know, the tourism industry, the tourism infrastructure, and basically the fact that they are local businesses, sometimes small, sometimes bigger. But at the same time, 
I don't know, maybe I'm a bit of an idealist, but, but I would like to think of onsen as something that doesn't belong to anyone specifically, right? In my conversations that I had with people researching the article, you know, they pointed out to me that a lot of onsen owners are themselves vested in conserving those environments, you know, both in terms of protecting the water resources, but even just the general landscape itself. And so, you know, going back to an earlier theme, onsens are a gift of nature. And as such, in my view, it is the responsibility of local communities and individual landowners to take care of them and also the people visiting them. So that's me and you, basically. <laughs> well, Mara, thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you, Oscar. It's been a pleasure. That was Mara Budgen. My thanks to her for joining me this week. Before we wrap up this episode, I want to put a call out to you, our listeners. If you've been tuning into Deep Dive throughout the past couple of years, you might remember that at the end of last year, I asked listeners to submit their stories of what helped them get through 2020. We had a fantastic response and heard from people all around the world, from Japan to Brazil. So now I'd like to try and make this a bit of an annual tradition on Deep Dive, a positive way to see off each year. So if you'd like to get involved, use your phone to record a voice memo about your favourite experience of 2021 and how it helped you enjoy the year. It could be a new hobby you started, a trip you took after getting vaccinated, anything really as long as it helped to make 2021 a memorable year. Once you're done, just email your recording to deepdive at japantimes.co.jp with the subject line so long 2021. We'd love to get those recordings from you by Friday 24th of December if you can. I can't wait to hear your submissions. Please check the show notes for more details. That's it for this episode. Until next week, Podskare Samo. Deep Dive.